Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. All right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are talking about one of the big ones of this year. We're talking about Mank, David Fincher's new film that's out now on Netflix about the guy who wrote Citizen Kane, considered by many to be the best movie of all time. I watched it earlier this year for the first time, and you know what? It's actually pretty good. It's a good movie. Uh, but we are going to be talking about Mank, and joining me is M.N. Miller from Ready Steady Cut. Uh, I've been wanting to get him on the show for a while now, so I'm really happy to have him here on Piecing It Together. So that is coming up in a minute. But before we get to that conversation, I do want to remind you to make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. You can find us on any of the major podcast apps. And we also have our own app now. It's uh, currently only available on Android phones, so go to the Google Play Store and search for Piecing It Together. And you can download a all-encompassing piecing it together app that has all of the episodes of the podcast as well as my letterboxd reviews uh my twitter and facebook feeds for the show and everything else that you would want to see or get about piecing it together all in one place so check that out it's free and uh yeah you could also of course rate and review us over on apple podcasts or Podchaser or wherever you listen to podcasts that happens to have reviews and follow us on social media at piecing pod and join our facebook group popcorn and puzzle pieces and one last thing don't forget about our patreon where we post advanced episodes of the podcast as well as bonus content from this podcast an awesome movie year another great movie podcast you should be listening to as well as my music career. So lots of great content over on the Patreon. So let's get into Mank. There's a lot to talk about with this movie, so let's get into it. All right, so today on the show, we are going to be talking about a movie that it's kind of impossible for us to have finished off the year without getting to this one. We're talking about David Fincher's Mank, and with me is M.N. Miller. How's it going, man? Hey, David. Thanks for having me. Doing great. How about you? I am doing all right. Uh, I am, you know, getting to the end of trying to make my year-end uh, list and watch as much as I possibly can uh, yeah. so I can finish that list off strong. It is, uh, it's tough. There, there's so much out there. Um, but, of course, we, we have to cover this movie. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of one I think uh, people are 
people want to want to hear about a little bit it seems like yeah, well. <laughs> maybe it's a david fincher thing maybe it's a citizen kane thing a little of everything that goes into this movie i think it's just it's also very timely too with the themes and issues that go on with the movie it sure is yeah it absolutely is. And I'm sure we're going to get into a lot of that uh, as we start getting into some puzzle pieces. But before we do, it is your first time here on the show. So I'd love it if you'd, uh, you know, kind of introduce yourself to our listeners here. Well, my name is, as you said, Emin Miller. Uh, I write for a website called Ready Steady Cut. We're a film site primarily dedicated to streaming uh, content. We were, uh, we were kind of the first ones to uh, to do this for a couple of years, and everyone kind of jumped on the bandwagon because of uh, COVID this year. Um, so I've written about 400 reviews the past two years, and uh, I'm also part of the Nevada Film Critic Society. Are you based here in Vegas? I am. Yeah, you are. Okay, yeah. How do we not run into each other? I mean, obviously, uh, you know, <laughs> nobody's running into anybody right now, but we actually have twice. Yeah. Just the, t- those, like, I thought it was just once, but yeah, I guess it was twice, huh? But, uh, yeah, we should run into each other more often. It seems like, well, you, uh, you got me a ticket to the John Wick three, which, uh, sure. I appreciate yep. way back yeah. in the day. And, uh, of course your family owns that great, uh, vinyl shop in town. So. That's right. You did come by uh, there. So that was the other time I forgot about that. But right on, man. Uh, I, I'm glad to finally get you here on the show. And I obviously sent you a list of some movies uh, that we're, you know, looking to possibly cover. This was one that you were, you know, interested in right from the jump. Was this a movie that you had been like kind of looking forward to all year? Are you like a huge Fincher fan? Where Was this like a big one for you? Oh, I'm a huge David Fincher fan. There's pretty much nothing. Well, Benjamin Button, I... I liked, I didn't love. Uh, I think most people feel that way after the past couple of years. Uh, but most everything he does is, is just genius to me. And I was very excited about this, um, hearing about it, hearing the history of it, uh, the fact that his dad wrote the screenplay and they never got to produce it. So I was very excited about, the, about it, not to mention the content and just the history of you know, film royalty with Citizen Kane. I think any cinephile or any film critic was very excited about this when they heard about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I think that this is just a very rich movie filled with just a lot on its mind. And, mm-hmm. you know, despite how much people maybe like it necessarily, I think that there's just a lot to like really dig into, which is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's really exciting for any movie and especially for someone like Fincher to come out with something a little different for him, I think. But also, I mean, there's certainly some uh, themes involved that are things that he's explored before. But for the most part, I think this is kind of a little different for him. But I think we might as well start jumping into puzzle pieces right away, and we'll get into a whole lot of those ideas and themes and everything that's going on with this movie. And usually I'll ask my guests to go first, but I think it's probably a good idea just to get it out of the way to just start off with Citizen Kane itself. Yes. Because I I think that that's kind of going to be hanging over the conversation otherwise, and it's very important to talk about. Uh, I, I have a couple of thoughts. I'm sure you do too. But yeah, the 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 movie that is at the center of this story, of course, is Orson Welles' Citizen Kane from 1941. And, you know, considered by many, you know, greatest movie ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually just watched it for, I'm pretty sure, the first time earlier this year in preparation for this movie. Um, I, I might have seen it back in high school. I couldn't quite remember. But I, aside from 
you know, just the obvious that it's the subject matter of the movie is, you know, circles around the creation of, of the uh, script for Citizen Kane. Uh, there's also a lot of other comparisons that could be made as well from the way the film is shot and presented as well as to kind of the back and forth nature of the story. And then uh, Mankiewicz himself being this kind of larger than life character who, uh, you know, is just like kind of a, a giant in his particular realm. And uh, of course, not as big as uh, Kane himself, but uh, still he, he's in his own right, uh, a big character in this movie. Oh, that's a humongous character. I think the biggest thing why cinephiles and film critics um, like ourselves, it's, it's a huge mystery. It's a debate on who is more responsible uh, for that movie, who is responsible for the screenplay. It's almost been like a national legend for years. Right. Um, and it kind of, it has that intrigue to it. And I think a lot of man, it has to do with your enjoyment of it, it has to do with be predicated on your self-proclaimed, uh, self-proclaimed love of films, especially Citizen Kane. But I think most people can enjoy it and can relate to the themes that are going on in the film. Like fear propaganda, um, you know, sure. you know that the cultivating communication a way that um, our current political leaders, like the current president, tries to control the narrative <laughs> with with lies, and that's essentially what uh, Man and Citizen Kane is is all about. And back to what you're saying about watching Citizen Kane, um, I tried to rewatch that. I really tried to rewatch it before this past month. I had not had the time. So it's been a long time since I watched it. Yeah. I, uh, like I said, I, it was my probably first time watching it when, when I watched it last month and it was, it was very interesting how much of that, it just ties directly into what we've been going on, uh, in this country these last few years. And, uh, Mm. it's crazy how that stuff just, it, it just stays evergreen. And, continues to be a part of the conversation and you know especially with with the changes hollywood's going through right now that also adds mm-hmm. to it as well and you know not not quite knowing what the uh uh you know what the the character of hollywood itself you know was is what its reputation is and uh you know finding out little things behind the behind the scenes where it doesn't quite live up to what you expected almost too when Sisuke was being made and there's all propaganda films at the time coming out, like military propaganda films. And I remember uh, when the change happened with the presidency, people were talking about the first type of how that uh, politics influence uh, so much of Hollywood. And you saw a lot of that happen mm-hmm. the past couple of years. Um, so they re- it's really relevant today in that issue. So I think you make a great point about that. So uh, what do you what do you got for another piece here? Can you ever forgive me? With Melissa McCarthy. Oh, nice. A lot about Mank is about taking credit, uh, receiving credit. And a big part of Can You Ever Forgive Me was she could not get paid for when she got paid for writing, but then she was out of work. And then she could not, at the end, she was very, very upset that she could not get credit for her uh, her letters she was creating. Uh, And essentially Mm -hmm. with Mank, the same thing happened by the end where you know, he was receiving all this money from the studio. Orson Welles was trying to give him more money, more uh, type of compensation to take credit for the screenplay. But by the end of the film, uh, he clearly was more important. It was not the money was receiving credit for his work. Um, and that's one, the, a lot of good movies about writers the past couple of years. And that's one of the, the better, the better ones I've seen. Yeah, that is a great movie. And uh, yeah, it's a similarly, uh, messy character, but that is just kind of fascinating to go along with their journey, even though 
uh, even though they're they're kind of a mess, and uh, they're they're just so interesting and intriguing and uh, kind of captivating that you, that you want to you want to know first of all what's going to happen with them and and are they going to make it in in what they're trying to do? But you know you you also are kind of rooting for them despite their uh, their problems. Yeah, and, and the Melissa McCarthy character um, it's kind of like Mank without the term. I think mm-hmm. it's real. Um, that's how I would equate it. For sure. For sure. What about you? Well, I will go on to uh, another movie that I think has probably been mentioned a, a lot of times in conversation with Mank. Uh, and that's the Coen Brothers film, Hail Caesar, uh, which is, you know, a satire of a different era of old Hollywood, the 50s instead of the 30s. And kind of also shows that thin line between politics and Hollywood and also another movie that kind of, uh, for a lot of people, you know, maybe, you know, they think of the old, you know, idea of Hollywood being, you know, a liberal, uh, place, you know, liberals and lefties and all that stuff. But then you find out like, oh, it, it's kind of always been a lot of conservatives behind the scenes pulling strings. After all, this is big business and, you know, the big, uh, yeah, yeah, lots of money going around. So of course it shouldn't be that big of a surprise. But then once you, once you see it up there on the screen, you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess I never really considered that aspect of Hollywood, uh, but it's certainly there. And I think that these movies definitely uh, kind of go together really well as, as a picture of, of what Hollywood that like the darker side of, of that part of Hollywood. I think, uh, and I didn't pick this movie, but based on what you said about um, the conservative big wigs uh, in the, in the shadows type uh, business executives, like the movie Judy. Mm, yeah. The rest of the character was, but the executive um, the head of the studio who they portray physically abusing her to get her to, um, control her and get her to be in character and get in line with what the studio needed for shooting and for propaganda too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's an also uh, another good angle that film brought to the movie. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, once you, once you get to those kind of characters who, who just kind of like, they're just kind of addicted to their power and luring it over like everybody in the creative realm. Um, yeah. He gets some pretty shady shit. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, what, what do you got for your next piece? Uh, the next one I have is The Majestic. Okay. The Jim Carrey flop yeah. from 2001. I personally love that movie. I think it's Jim Carrey's, people say The Truman Show, but I think it's his best performance. Um, and I'm a huge Frank Darabont fan. And that movie was placed mm. in an era of Citizen Kane and making like B-movies and propaganda movies. And it had a lot to do with communism at the time. And Jim Carrey was forced to, uh, Jim Carrey's character was forced to testify uh, and name names in the in the in the film. By the end, it was a great scene. Have you ever watched it before? Mm-hmm. Um, so it has. I thought I, I actually haven't seen it since the theater. Um, I, I I barely remember it. I I just remember the the funny thing about the majestic yeah. uh, is I remember when I first got a DVD player and I started buying DVDs. Mm-hmm. I I had it in my head I needed to own every Jim Carrey movie, yeah. even though I knew I was probably not going to watch The Majestic again anytime soon. So I probably still own it um, since buying all those Jim Carrey movies. But I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Uh, what was the next? No, I'm looking at the DVD right now. I have a. It's like an old, the old like <laughs> um, paper type Warner Brothers DVDs way back in the day before yeah. Blu-ray. Oh, those um, were nice. But it has a lot to do with, like we talked about, the fear propaganda, naming names, and 
you know, the trying to get work in Hollywood at the time with the corporate overlords giving into political pressure. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a huge uh, political component to make that I don't think I don't know people appreciate with Upton Sinclair um, and the studios and what's the name of the, the oh, Randolph Hearst. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, that battle right there to control the media and to take um, Upton Sinclair down in his campaign. Uh, that really, those themes resonated heavily with me um, from the Majestic, which that's a small part of the movie. It's kind of like an underlying theme and make it's more prevalent. But I think that's a, a good puzzle piece for Mag. Yeah, no, I, Absolutely. And I, I maybe we'll have to revisit that movie one of these days, because like I said, I haven't seen it since the theater. Um, but yeah, a lot, a lot of those themes uh, coming up in that movie, that, that is a good piece for sure. I will go on to another piece. For this one, I'm not going to go with a specific movie, but uh, I'm going to go with someone who was a collaborator uh, for Fincher at one point, and that is Aaron Sorkin, uh, and just oh. his kind of way of writing. Uh, I, I feel like there's a lot of that Aaron Sorkin energy in That's this movie where, yeah, yeah, it's just snappy. It keeps going. It absolutely does not hold your hand at all. And if you aren't keeping up, you know, oh, well, <laughs> you're, you're just not going to, uh, be able to follow along everything that's happening. And it's definitely a movie that I think rewards multiple viewings. I, I think because there's so much going on and so many characters and, and so much to keep up with, but definitely there's just a lot of that kind of Aaron Sorkin energy to this, even though it's not, uh, you know, written by him. Coming around at the same time as the trial of Chicago seven. Um, I think it really that did resonate with me the the dialogue and I always wonder if with movies now switching to streaming and it could be that way for the foreseeable future how that might ruin the flow of movies because I can see a lot of people pausing it and rewinding it to catch what someone said. Um, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what people if people have done that with Mank and if that's ruined the experience for them, especially for a movie that is so dedicated to recreating a feeling of classic Hollywood, like down to the whole reverb on the audio thing, which by the way, kind of drove me nuts. Uh, I I was not really a fan of the reverb on the audio, but yeah, I mean, for, for a movie that's trying to capture that old cinema to allow people to just like rewind and replay scenes and all that stuff. It just, it, it's very strange, (laughs) but we're in strange times. So people love retro. Yeah, they sure do. Well, uh, what do you got for your next piece? Uh, well, I kind of like the social network, and I'll tell you why. I know it's not, how to put this, it's definitely not something that's comparable like you would think right away. Um, most of my picks really aren't, though. Um, but it's a very, very, the main character is very unlikable, and he's very determined. Mm-hmm. And it's also about taking credit for someone else's work. And right. you could argue that, you know, if someone had the idea, they would have done it. But with him taking um, the idea from the twins and making it his own is almost something like uh, what Citizen King and Mank had. And to me, the Jesse Eisenberg character, um, or the portraying Mark Zuckerberg, is kind of a combination of both people of Citizen King and Mank. And Mank's very much more likable mm-hmm. than most people will give it credit for. Um, but I think it's almost a combination of both characters, the controlling nature of uh, Orson Welles and um, the drive to be great, um, I think is very um, comparable uh, to the film. Yeah. And Aaron Sorkin's dialogue. 
a lot of that reminded me of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I hadn't thought of that, but this definitely, um, as far as like where it fits in with other David Fincher films, I mean, that's definitely the one I think to go to as a, uh, you know, a connection and, yeah, everything you were saying there about the Mark Zuckerberg character and and taking credit for uh, for what other people have done and like there's a lot of that and especially the uh, the main character that's kind of unlikable because uh, you know Mank you could see how like being in a circle uh, he, he might have been like intoxicating but likable not really <laughs> yeah <laughs> especially towards I was the surprised end. some of the characters just seemed to put up with him. I don't know real yeah, life that would yeah. be, especially since he he's regulated to writing screenplays in the background, not getting credit for things. I would be surprised if people really put up with that. Right. <laughs> we talked about corporate overloads and power. Uh, in my experience, they don't take too well to that. Yeah, right. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, I'm going to go ahead with another piece here. And this kind of, uh, goes along with what we were just talking about, about the idea of, you know, recreating, you know, that feeling of old Hollywood with the film, with some of the things like shooting in black and white with like some of the, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, film degradation effects, the, the sound things they did. I thought of Tarantino's Grindhouse, um, which, you know, really takes, uh, a, a lot of effort to recreate a certain time and uh, a certain kind of film that you know the movie isn't obviously it's a new like prestige like you know oscar type of film you know it's taking advantage of a lot of the new technologies like shooting digitally and things like that but at the same time just taking a lot of uh, uh effort to recreate that old uh old style of cinema and strangely uh i guess it didn't do the same aspect ratio as those older films, which I, I don't know why they stopped there. I don't know why they went all the way. Even Trent Reznor and Atticus Strauss, they, uh, you know, made themselves only use old instruments uh, for the scores. I don't know why they didn't go all the way, but they went a lot of the way. Mm-hmm. No, that's a great point. I've actually never seen Grindhouse. Oh, yeah? I never got some of the few blind spots I have of Tarantino. It's actually my last time at the West Wind Drive-In uh, here in Vegas. <laughs> I need to go one of these days. Never been there either. Yeah. Have you been back to the theater since COVID, by the way? I have not. I have not been back. I, I can't bring myself to do mm-hmm. it. Like, I've thought about it like, you know, oh, it's just one movie. Like, I'll go see Tenet or something. But I, I just, I can't do it for one movie. Like, once I go back once, I'm just going to be back constantly. So mm-hmm. I'd rather wait till it's Probably you buy $100 and buy out the theater to sit alone. But I still don't know if it's worth it. Exactly. Yeah. But we'll see. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully next year we'll be back. That's that's all we could hope for. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what do you got next? I got one more piece after that. Uh, I got Trumbo. Okay. Have you seen Trumbo? I did see Trumbo. I, I think it's very. <laughs> I kind of think this is what Meg was probably was in real life. I, I kind of love Trumbo. I think it's funny. I think I love the performance by Brian Cranston, um, mm. and. While obviously there's not a parallel, I don't think there was rumors of Mank being part of the Communist Party or active membership. Um, but this the themes of um, trying to tell a story and get credit for your work um, with Trumbo and having to work behind the scenes. Um, I think really um, is a good kind of puzzle piece for the film. Yeah, I think movies like a couple of movies later to be made 
So that's that's one movie I would say. Yeah, I actually considered including it on my list as well. I think there's a very clear line uh, between Trumbo, Hail Caesar, and now Mank. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you know all kind of coming from a similar place, all telling that that story of you know the people who made the stories. Classic Hollywood and um, and propaganda. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, and telling the story of of these creatives and the people who you know who, who brought us these these classics. So. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think that it's absolutely a great piece and worth mentioning here. And once start punishing creators for being creative, it kind of like is the end of, you know, telling truth to power, yeah. in my opinion. I think that's a lot of what, uh, yeah, these films have to do with for sure. So, uh, for my last puzzle piece, I've got to go with my favorite movie about a screenwriter, which is of course, adaptation from Charlie Kaufman, Spike Jones with Nicolas Cage playing Charlie Kaufman. And it's it's my favorite movie, but uh, obviously the story doesn't really connect too much with Mank, you know, with the stories that's being told. But the thing that I thought was an interesting comparison here is about how a creative person uh, is kind of only considered to be as good as their most recent project. And how like they kind of lose the cash of everything that's come before all the things that they, they were working on before that they had successes with, but now it's like, well, what do you have for me now? That seems to be like what Hollywood, uh, and what really the world in general, uh, kind of says to people, especially creative people. What have you done for me lately? Yep, exactly. If what you did was great, but didn't do well, you know, there's a chance that's not going to help you either. That's a great choice. I had, uh, exactly that was on my list. I was going to, talk about but i left it off because trying to talk about a charlie kaufman film is is tough on its own to, be, to tell you the truth uh but I think that's a great choice for um one of the puzzle pieces i, I tried to do it three times this year on this uh podcast so <laughs> did you do it for the i think of anything yes we did an episode on that we did a uh that a one. special missing pieces episode on on eternal sunshine of the spotless mind and then we also did his book ant kind so there's a lot of Charlie oh, yeah. Kaufman this year well, that's gotta be a fascinating one i'll have to listen to that one. Oh yeah it was fun it was fun so i'm gonna go ahead and do the finished puzzle here and list out all the movies we just talked about and then we'll get into some closing thoughts but uh, the finished puzzle for Mank includes, of course, Citizen Kane, uh, as well as Can You Ever Forgive Me, Hail Caesar. We also squeeze Judy in there as well. The Majestic, Aaron Sorkin Dialogue, The Social Network, Trumbo, and Adaptation. Uh, so, you know, a, a lot of obviously things about uh, movie making, about screenwriters, about classic Hollywood, and about... You know, there's so much of that Hollywood politics line in this uh, that is, you know, written by a lot of these uh, these movies and is really, I think, the most interesting thing about this movie, even though there, there's a lot of interesting things about this movie. I mean, just the story itself of, of Mankiewicz and, and, you know, Orson Welles and that whole thing. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's a lot to this movie. There's a lot to get out of it. And it's even though, I mean, I... I'm pretty sure you loved it. I remember your review of it. I mean, I I liked it. I didn't love it as much, but there's still there's so much to this movie. It's just so like meaty. I just like and I love your comparison about Aaron Sorkin. I really put that it's just it's very entertaining. I call it wildly entertaining because it, yeah. it really combines, like you said about that snappy dialogue and that's what the Social Network. You know, I didn't think about the Sorkin dialogue at the time sure. with that movie with Mank and it's just taking old Hollywood 
combination of old Hollywood, um, the snappy dialogue, the performance by Gary Oldman, by the way, which is also really different than everything he's ever done. He usually plays these brash yeah. like characters, and yeah. Mank really isn't that brash. He is an alcoholic, but he's always like a charming alcoholic. He seems to be a functioning alcoholic, mm. but he never seems to play roles like this ever. And the whole film, like, and this how it connects to politics today. Uh, it's just, it's almost like a timeless theme that never goes out of style, even since like the 1940s. It's it's never changed. Um, so political corruption, propaganda, slimy business tactics, all in like, you know, old Hollywood. Um, to me, it's a. I don't think people give enough credit, but I also think it's very. It's made for a, a certain type of people. So I'm, I'm would be really surprised if mainstream audiences enjoyed as much as like I did or cinephiles. Yeah, it does definitely seem to be uh, the kind of movie that's like made for cinephiles, made for film critics, made, you know, made for film Twitter, maybe, Uh, you know, it's definitely a a movie you've got to be a fan of the history of movies to like really kind of dig into. But like we said, I mean, there is still plenty to get out of it, even if you're not into all that. So hopefully people uh, connect with it regardless. I agree. So I think that about does it for Mank. I always like to ask my guests to recommend another movie they watched recently that they uh, that they enjoyed and would like to recommend to our listeners. Oh, let me look. A couple things I haven't written about yet. I haven't had the time. Mm-hmm. No Bad Land. Uh, have you seen that yet? It's a very good uh, movie. Not as no good Bad as Land. not as good as The Rider, I think, but uh, it's a very good movie. A great uh, performance by Francis McDormand. I've seen a couple of critics from like New York City, Los Angeles, calling it a movie about middle America. I don't think it's about middle America, but I think that's a really, really good movie. What were your thoughts on it? Oh, I absolutely loved it. Um, and I agree with you. It's not really about middle America. It's, it's, it's about, it's about a certain subsect of America that, you know, maybe mm-hmm. there's a lot of that in middle America, but it's about something different. And yeah, I mean, her performance is fantastic. I actually still have not seen the writer and I definitely need to watch it, uh, before I go oh, and do like an man, episode. Man, you have to watch this. that movie. Yeah. I, I definitely need to see that. Oh, it's amazing. Um, and the one other one I would like to talk about, uh, just bring up is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Um, and Sound of Metal, too. Ooh, I'm looking forward to that. So Sound of Metal is out now. Uh, Ma Rainey is coming out in a week or two, the 18th. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that movie has a lot of um, themes that are really relevant today as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And yeah, Sound of Metal, fantastic, of course. I, oh, I great performance metal, by but... Riz Ahmed. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, this was great. I'm so glad that you were able to uh, join me for this episode. Why don't you tell people again where they could find you and your writing? Uh, Well, my name is M.N. Miller. Uh, I write for uh, the greatest website in the history of the world, Ready, Steady, Cut, based out in the UK, but they are worldwide. You can find uh, me there. I also have an authory page. You can check out my articles. I also write a great article called The Best Film Podcast. And guess who was featured in it? Who was featured in it? You, David Rosen, your podcast. <laughs> I wrote it back last last January, February, so check that article out as well. Um, I really appreciate you having me. I um I love talking movies. Uh, my wife's always telling me go find someone else to talk about movies, so I appreciate you having me on tonight. Well, I uh, I absolutely appreciate you joining me, and hopefully we'll get you back again for another movie next year. Of course. Do you love movies? I certainly do. 
Hi, Chris Roberts here, inviting you to listen to I Saw It on Linden Street, our weekly podcast dedicated to the joy of finding an appreciation in cult films, exploitation oddities, beloved classics, and all points in between. Join us for an informative deep dive into a film that we feel needs to be recognized, with background thrown in on actors, directors, and hey, if I'm doing my job right, you'll get a funny story out of me. So join us here at I Saw It on Linden Street and listen today. Remember, folks, life's too short not to live in the past. Take it easy. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Mank. Go check it out. It's out on Netflix right now. Apparently not doing that well, which is very strange. I mean, for a movie that is, uh, you know, that was so anticipated by so many people. People love David Fincher, and of course people love Citizen Kane. But I guess it just kind of goes to show you that, uh, you know, the world of film Twitter and film critics and film nerds doesn't always really match up with the rest of the world. So I guess that's a valuable lesson for somebody to learn. I don't know who. Maybe me? I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, thanks to Emma Miller for joining me for that one. And if you are enjoying piecing it together, we'd appreciate it if you subscribed wherever it is you listen to podcasts. And of course, we would really appreciate it if you shared this podcast. We are always just trying to get the word out about what we're doing here. So share away. You can, of course, rate and review us as well over on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. We appreciate that a whole bunch. I love getting feedback on the show. Uh, also follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where I'm sure we'll be arguing and complaining about streaming movies ruining cinema. That'll be me doing the complaining, but uh, don't worry. If you don't think that that's the case, there'll be plenty of people taking the other side of the argument as well. So that's what's happening over there. Over here on the podcast, we have a ton of new episodes coming your way. We should have two a week for the rest of the year. And then we got some special episodes and just all kinds of stuff. Lots and lots of movies to cover. Lots and lots of episodes coming your way. So again, make sure you're subscribed. And we really appreciate that. So uh, let's close this thing out with a piece of music like we always do. And let's see, what should I play today? I'm trying to think of something that would fit with this, but I don't, I don't know if I've got anything. I want to go with something a little bit, uh, you know, a little jazzy-ish or something, go along with that Trent Reznor Atticus Ross score. Uh, I'm going to go with something from my soundtrack album, Beater. And this was from a film called To Cherish the Time. And I'm going to play the track called Memories of a Time. So this is from Beater, the original motion picture soundtrack, which, if you haven't heard me talk about this before, is a compilation album of a feature film score that I composed called Beater, and then uh, the scores from a bunch of short films that I worked on with the same director, Christopher Johnson, who I'm actually going to be working on another feature with next year, so who knows, maybe I'll end up putting that out as a soundtrack. But uh, yeah, so this is from one of the short films that's also on the album. So enjoy this track, and we'll be back with more Piecing It Together coming out real soon.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.